Well, tonight's our last night. And so after tonight, you can get caught up on all those things that you've been putting off and then been building up and pay your bills and whatever else it might be. But we're going to look at Revelation Spiritual Revolution for a new millennium. Kind of a summary of what we've been talking about. But before we jump in, let's ask the Lord to be with us. Is that all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this journey that we've been on as we have learned uh, so much. Uh, all of us here have learned something new. I know I have learned new things as I've gone back through and studied these precious truths yet again. And we just thank you for them and how it truly does. You want to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. And while some of these truths are hard to accept and to take in, when we just follow you in faith and follow the way that your Holy Spirit convicts us, I do believe that life will be given to us more abundantly, not just in the new earth, but here and now as we follow your directions for us. And so I pray that you will be here again tonight, that your Holy Spirit uh, will be integral in all that's done and said this evening. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs> all right. Well, the year was 1993. Boy, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? Can you believe that? Anyway, don't, I won't talk about that. The year was 1993. It was in the Philippines, and they have this festival called the Crucifix at the River. And at the Crucifix at the River, you may have seen it on, on the news way back then, maybe not. <clears throat> maybe it didn't make the news. I don't know. But there were three barges, and there were crosses on these barges, and people were coming out doing their very best to get as close as they could to this cross and to hang on to the barge because of all the significance that they felt was wrapped up in these barges and these crosses and this religious fanfare. And as more and more people climbed onto this barge, 300 peeper, people, not peeper, but people, climbed onto the barge in search of touching this cross because they thought of all this power that would be theirs and, and healing and all the rest. And as it mounted more and more and more, eventually the barge tipped over and capsized. Not just one, but two, three, all three turned over and 300 people drowned. Now, why would I tell you such a terrible story? Well, I believe today we have people grasping after things and putting every effort to get a hold of, or to, to be in the presence of, or to just simply touch, or whatever it is, and they're going to great lengths and spending huge amounts of money and time and energy and effort into things that will not, cannot help you or save you. And if we're not careful, we can even <clears throat> go through the motions of church and religiosity and miss Christ. And he may not be the center of what we're doing. And that's a problem as well. We can follow all these rules. We can never eat cheese again. But if I don't know Jesus, I've missed it, haven't I? <clears throat> I believe there's a hunger for genuine Christianity. You almost don't even hear that word much anymore, genuine. I imagine young people today might ask, what does it mean to be genuine? What is it to be genuine? To be real, that's right. That's the word that the young people know. Oh, real. Yeah, I know that. Right on, right on. Be real. 
genuine Christianity. I think there's a hunger for it today. There's a hunger to know and discover truth. It's amazing how many times, in fact, somebody was just telling me today, they were talking about the Sabbath with their coworker. They started a new job, and one of the first days on the job, they said, do you mind if I ask you questions about your religion? They said, sure. And this guy was Baptist, and he says, you're Seventh-day Adventist? Yeah. What are some of the differences between? He says, well, really, there's a lot that we have in common. But one of the differences is that we believe in the Bible Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, that it wasn't changed. He says, yeah, I believe that too. I mean, there's people I believe that are hungry to know and discover the truth. I think there's people that know there's truth, but because of tradition, because they've always done it this way, and because of the majority, and so on and so forth. But I think people more and more, their eyes are being opened to the truth. They want the truth. And in this world that we live in, truth seems to evade us. Everybody has an agenda. Everybody has a slant. Everybody has their own way of of trying to coerce us to do their thing or this thing or the other thing. But we're longing for truth, for something that's genuine, something that's real, right? Materialism hasn't satisfied. Oh, if I could just get that new pair of shoes, if I can just get that new, those new wheels, that new ride, if I can just get that house with the view that we've been dreaming about, if I can just get this, just get that. I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever you think, if I just get fill in the blank, and then you get it, and it, yeah, it might be nice for a time, but does it last? Generally speaking, it doesn't last at all. And there's a period of time where you say, I thought I'd be happy if I just got this, if I just attained that, if I just got this job or whatever else. But then you get there, you arrive, and, it, and it's not what you thought it would be. Materialism hasn't satisfied. <clears throat> Pleasure has not satisfied. Well, if I can just get a hold more of these drugs, or if I can do this, or if I can do that, if I, I'm going to go to this party scene, I'm going to go to the bar. You know, the whole idea of a bar is really sad to me. We're looking for a good time. We really don't know how to find it. We have to intoxicate ourselves in order to, in hopes that we'll have a good time. And then who knows who I might go home with and this and that, and it just snowballs. I, I've told you before, maybe I shouldn't say this. I used to listen to country. I don't really listen to it that much anymore. There's a song that said, the party bone, no, the lonely bones connected to the party bone. How does it go? Do you remember how it starts? <laughs> okay, no, it's, it's the drinking bones connected to the party bone. The party bones connected to the staying out all night long, and she won't think it's funny, and I'll wind up all alone, and the lonely bones connected to the drinking bone. A little bit of theology in a country song, I guess. <clears throat> it goes full circle. Did you catch it? And we have these people in bars and, and all this pleasure seeking and all the rest. And it just goes full circle over and over and over and over. And so then they marry somebody else and they go through the cycle again and again and again. I tell you what, we need to sing those country songs backwards then we get everything back. <clears throat> Technology has not satisfied. You know, for the longest time they were saying, I mean, even when technology we think now of you know iphones and ipads and laptop computers and all these apps and all the rest no it used to be technology was you don't have to go to the river to do your laundry anymore it's going to save you so much time now don't hear what i'm not saying 
I love the washing machine. I love the dryer. I love the dishwasher, the refrigerator. I love all those things. But they have always said, we're going to save you so much time. So now you can go out and spend the day, instead of doing your laundry all day long, you can play with the kids. You can read them stories. You can go up on the parkway. You can do all these things. The weekly uh, you know, work week is going to be shortened. Has, has anybody seen that in your profession? So they introduce more technology that makes you able to get more work done in a shorter period of time. Do they let you off any sooner? I haven't seen that. And so you have people that, that are just thinking about, oh, the good old days, you know, when we used to walk to church. Yeah, that could be inconvenient in the weather if it wasn't good. But there were some nice things about just the conversation, right? The time out in nature, seeing the flowers on the way, all these things that now we just zip, 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 boom, 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 boom. Technology. I don't believe it's satisfied like they said that it would. I believe the only thing that satisfies is God's word. Because it testifies about who God is. And really, it's God that satisfies. He's the only one that can truly bring me happiness and contentment and peace and satisfaction. All of these things that I promise you, if you could bottle it up and sell it, you couldn't keep it on the shelves. If you could bottle up peace of mind and put it on the shelf, I mean genuine peace of mind, you couldn't keep it on the shelf today. Could you? Am I making this up? No. I don't think that I am. But God says, I will give you all of these things. Just come unto me and I will give you rest for your souls. So there's an inner compulsion for something solid, something that won't sink when we cling to it. Right? So does God call a people on earth today his church? And that's what we've been looking at. You know, Noah appealed to men and women to enter into the ark of safety, didn't he? All the way back then, God had a group of people, even though most of their thoughts were continually evil all the time, he had a small group of people that were willing to follow him and to do the unthinkable. In fact, I love this story because he says it's going to, you know, God says it's going to rain and people say, it's never rained before. Are you out of your mind? It was just a heavy dew before that, a mist. It's going to rain. Water's going to fall from the sky? This guy's a lunatic. 120 years he's out there building this ark, preaching the same message. How many converts? None. It's just he and his family that go into the ark. I imagine people made money off of him, though. Step right up. We're going to take you on a tour past the, you know, where Noah is building his ark. He's been building this for the last 100 years. It's a huge boat built out in the middle of nowhere. And he claims, and you know, da, 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 da. and here's this old fuddy dud with a long beard that everybody thinks has gone crazy. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too imaginative. But he chose to be faithful to God. In the days of Noah, the majority rejected God's call. Is it true? But his faithful people entered the ark. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. <clears throat> Here we have uh, Abraham. Out of the popular majority, he was called we read here in Genesis 26, verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. 
I don't like messages like that from God so much. I like it when he tells me right now. But here's a message where he says, just go and I'll, you know, it'll be on a need to know basis. I prefer when God says, okay, here's the plan. You're going to go here, you're going to camp there, you're going to settle here for two years, and I'm going to bring you here, and here, and here, and then this is going to work out, and that's going to work out, and this is going to come together, and voila. Yeah, okay, I can do that. No, I just want you to leave everything that you know. I want you to set out for land that I will show you later. Did that take faith? It did. And he left the crowds of people, right? the multitudes of people, and was faithful to God. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Notice some of these characteristics of God's people. Abraham obeyed my voice, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Here we have God calling Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his, there it is again, charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments. How long? Always. Always. So here we have another faithful group of people who are willing to follow God instead of go with the crowd. And I would submit to you, God has always had a chosen people which really means a a people that have chosen him, right? It's never been a closed group, invitation only. It's been wide open to anyone who will follow and obey, but everybody sneers and makes jokes and says, ah, there's not going to be a flood. It's not going to rain. We like it here in Sodom. We're comfortable, and on and on. But I believe God's always had a chosen people. Here we have Peter. Um... where 3,000 were added to the church in the book of Acts in a single day. That's remarkable to me, 3,000. Now, I've had the privilege to go over to uh, Kenya and be part of a a series like this. In fact, there were multiple sites. I don't know if there were like 60 sites, I think, in Nairobi. And that was the first campaign I I ever preached. And we started out with this Jesus video in Swahili, and that would bring the people out of the slums and the ghettos. And... uh, then we'd turn this Jesus video off that was in Swahili, and they'd start throwing rocks at the stage. (laughs) Their way of saying, you know, and they kind of mumble. They they didn't want us to turn off the the video. They wanted to keep watching it. And of course, they didn't want to listen to me. They wanted to watch the video. But at the end of that, all these 60 sites came together for the last Sabbath, and there was this big baptism. I'd never been part of anything like that before. I'd, I'd seen, you know, two or three, maybe even five on a Sabbath be baptized. Hey, this is wonderful. And it is wonderful. But never in my life had I seen the number of people that were baptized on that one single Sabbath. We all gathered around. There was bleachers. There were several Olympic-sized pools. People had umbrellas to keep the sun off of them. And, and we sat there for one hour, two hours, three hours, five hours, watching people be baptized and be baptized and be baptized from all these various sites. And it was incredible to me to just take that in. Um, So anyway, I believe we're going to see this type of thing again. In fact, we are seeing this again, but I think it's going to be much bigger and much greater. 
Not because of us, but because of what the Holy Spirit wants to do and people's hunger for truth, right? So God has a chosen people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that verse applies to all of us, doesn't it? God has called all of us out of darkness. He's called all of us from our past. Whatever it is, whatever mistakes and poor decisions we've made, He calls us out of that darkness into His marvelous light. And He says, I want to call you one of my own. I choose you. And I choose you and you. I want you to be part of my royal priesthood, my, my own, my children, my family. That's pretty awesome. So throughout the centuries, God has had men and women who have been faithful to him. I don't believe it was ever God's intent to have so many churches that believe so many different things. What makes me think that? Well, as an eternal principle, you do not go to church. Well, we'll talk about this first. You do not go to church to find the truth. You go to the Bible to find the truth, right? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, I'm not interested. And so when you find the truth in God's word, then you pray, Lord, lead me to the church that is following the Bible. Right? That's what you do. That's the order of how it goes. So when you take a step to follow truth and become part of God's commandment-keeping people, you do not deny any truth that you believed in the past. Now, sometimes people will come to a meeting like this, and they've been a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or whatever it is their whole life, and their, their grandmother and their great-grandmother, and maybe they had some pastors down the line in their family heritage as well, and they think, if I come into this, I'm going to be denying that whole past history. Friends, I would say that God has used that past history to bring you where you are today. And I believe God never is going to whisper in your ear, I'm done with you. There's no more I can do with you. You've reached the end of the line. No. And just like your great-grandpa may have been a Baptist minister because he wanted to follow God's call for his life, I believe if he heard this truth, he might say, you know what, that's truth. I'm going to follow that. So we're not denying our past experience, but we're thanking God for our past experiences led us to this point. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All right, so while we appreciate our past, we commit ourselves to all the truth God has for us today. And that can be doctrinal, that can be joining another church, but that also needs to be every day opening my Bible and, and being reminded of things or, being, or learning things for the first time that I've never seen before. And I say, wow, I think that applies to me. That's new truth for me today. And, you know, you think, well, I've, I've read through the Bible. I've read through the Gospels. I've read through, you know, Philippians or Ephesians or whatever. Yeah, you may have read through Philippians before you were married, but it's maybe a little different after you were married. Or maybe you read it before you had kids. It's a little different after you have kids. Or maybe you read the Gospels, you know, before you had teenagers. Maybe it means something different after you have teenagers. You get my point? The life experience that we have changes. And so when we come to a scripture, oftentimes it's the things I've read so many times before, and I missed it, and I missed it, and I missed it, but I'm, I'm just at a certain place in my life, and I see something, and I say, wow. I believe God Taylor puts together 
something special and unique for us each and every day to discover and to find that empowers us for that day to live through and, and to overcome the challenges for that day. I really do. And that doesn't mean that you won't have it. You might have a day that you say, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see any big, you know, there weren't any fireworks today. Well, that's okay. You still surrendered yourself to God and His Word, right? And sometimes as I do that day after day after day, I'm continuing on in a story. And as I continue on in that story, then there's the aha moment that I say, wow. And that may not be till Thursday or next week or in a month or whatever. But God has things for us. He's waiting for us. There's that special appointment time, I think, each and every day that he wants to meet with us and share things with us. All right. So when you find the truth, you look for a church that teaches the truth. Amen? 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth. In this book, The End of Religious Controversy, page 95, it says, There's but one inquiry to be made, namely, which is the true church? By solving this one question, you will at once solve every question of religious controversy that's ever been or that ever can be agitated. It's a pretty big question, right? And really, we have to go back to this idea, well, what's the true church? Well, what does the Bible say? And where's the church that's teaching what the Bible says, right? John 17, 21, Jesus prays here. He says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. It's interesting. One of these prayers, well, it's really Jesus' last really engaging prayer that we have where he's just pouring his heart out to God and he could have prayed for all kinds of things. But he says, Lord, I pray that they may be one as you and I are are one. One in what? One in what they wear. One in what they look like. Is everybody just supposed to conform and be like this space age where everybody wears silver suits? One in what? I think one in the truth. Truth really connects you to people more than anything else. If you believe the same truth as somebody else, you're connected. And that's a beautiful thing that I like about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I can travel anywhere around the world, and on Sabbath morning, I can go into a Seventh-day Adventist Church and meet people for the very first time, and I feel a kinship. I feel connected. Why? Because we're one, not in clothing, not in skin color, but in truth. In truth. And it's a beautiful thing. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so God's Word is extremely important and such an incredible gift. And how many, how many Bibles do we have at home and how many of them don't get used? You don't have to use them all, but we have no excuse. There are places around the world that would literally do anything for a Bible in their language that they could study and read and understand. And here we have, I probably have 20, 30 Bibles at home, right? I better be reading those. I better be reading my Bible. John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right. Have you ever known people that are, are bound and worried and stressed all because of a lie? They don't know the truth? That's right. I mean, when you go to the doctor, you want to know, be, be you know, informed on the procedure, what to expect. Oftentimes the truth will set you at ease. Amen. 
I know with uh, child delivery and all those things, we went through all kinds of things. My wife, of course, I just skipped to the class. I was so excited to go. The reality is she dragged me to the class. But it was helpful. You know why? Because I knew the truth about how she did our deliveries naturally. And so uh, I got to know the truth about how this delivery process would go. And let me tell you, it was very helpful. Very helpful. There was somebody else uh, in the delivery room with us. I won't tell you who it was. It was her mother. And she didn't go through the class. She didn't go through the class. And you would think having three girls of her own, she would have remembered everything. Well, she forgot. And there were certain things along the way, certain way, way marks. I won't tell you what those way marks are. But there were certain things happening, and it got me really excited. Why? Because I knew we were getting close. And the truth set me free. I could have been in panic mode. Her mom at one point in time was in panic mode. And I said, no, 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 no. This is one of the signs that we're really close. One of the signs, by the way, is when they start saying, you did this to me. Now, she didn't say that. (laughs) She didn't say that. But they call that transition. See how educated I sound? They call that transition. And so when the woman goes through transition... And she starts getting a little bit, you know, ornery. You know things are going to be very soon. This is exciting. Now, I'm not trying. I I really honestly don't mean to be irreverent. But the truth here will set you free. If you know the truth, it will set you free. But if you live in ignorance, the devil can put his thumb on you and he can make you be scared and, and cower and run and hide and all these things. When if you just knew the truth. That's right. Right? If you just knew the truth of the matter. And the truth will set you free. John 17, again in Jesus' prayer, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. What's the strongest testimony to the world that God has sent us? The fact that we're one. I hope you haven't been part of a church where they're not one, they're everybody, every man, woman, and child for themselves. And they're pulling people down, and they're judging over here, and that doesn't belong, and you get out of here, your kind doesn't belong in this church, and all the rest. Does that give a, what kind of testimony is that to the world? But Jesus says the greatest testimony is that you will be one. One in the truth, right? All right. If we approach God's word only desiring to prove our position, we will not discover his will. Our own thoughts will influence what we read in his word. So I don't go to the Bible trying to prove myself. I get in an argument. Somebody tells me something. I say, that's not true. I'm going to find I'm going to set them right. And so I go to the word and I'm looking for things. Now, all of a sudden, I'm I'm putting my presuppositions into the passage, right? I'm trying to make the passage say what I want it to say so I can put it in somebody's face. That's not the right attitude to approach God's word at all. I want to be on my knees and I want to say, Lord, reveal to me your truth as I study your word, as I prayerfully consider what you have to say. Reveal your truth to me. And that's how God reveals. I mean, God says, absolutely, I'd love to do that. That's a prayer I believe God always answers, right? He loves to do that. Acts 20, verse 30. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so we don't want to get caught up in that. In the book of Revelation, we've talked about this pure woman. And what does she represent? God's true church. That's right. His bride. 
In 2 Corinthians 11:2, 2, it says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that you may present, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. Pure, reserved, saved herself, right? He wants God's church to be pure, doctrinally pure. And what makes the church pure? What makes doctrine pure? Has the truth. It follows what God says in His Word. It follows what God says in His Word. Revelation 20, sorry, 12, verse 9. We also have this, this woman here. So the great dragon was cast out, that servant of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. We're going to be here in Revelation 12 for just a minute, and we're going to see various episodes where the devil tried to overcome, the devil tried to overcome, the devil tried to overcome, but I have news for you, he doesn't overcome. He doesn't. You know how the story ends too, don't you? So the great dragon was cast out, that old servant of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And we know that Lucifer convinced a third of the angels... And God labored long with Lucifer, but he couldn't change his mind, so the time came that he needed to go, and so they were cast out of heaven. So we could say, episode one, Satan rebels against God in heaven. Christ wins, Satan loses. Right? Continuing on in Revelation chapter 12. And the dragon stood before the woman, God's church, pure church, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Devil says, that's all right. I'll get you on this next one. When Jesus comes along, I'm going to throw everything I have at him. I've had thousands of years to plan for this. We've had so many meetings about this. We know how we're going to get him. And we're going to throw everything we have at him, and it's going to work. Did it work? She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. In the midst of all of these temptations and all of these things that the devil tried to throw at him over and over and over and over, Jesus stayed so well connected to his heavenly Father that he wasn't overcome even once. Isn't that incredible? Amen. And he stands as an example for you and I, by the way. The key is in that connection to our heavenly Father. And he died on the cross. And I imagine the devil thought, we got him. We got him. We got him. If we can just keep him in the tomb. Could they do it? No. He says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. And it says in Revelation 12, verse 5, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. He resurrected. He went back up to heaven. Episode 2, Satan tries to destroy Christ. To stamp him out. Does it work? Christ wins. Satan loses. Episode 2. Satan turned his wrath on the woman, the Christian church. He says, all right, if I can't get Christ, I'm going to get his followers. And I'm going to try and mess them all up in terrible ways. And so he imprisoned all the disciples and various things. In fact, all but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. Some said, I don't want to die like my Lord did. Crucify me upside down. Who was that? Was that Peter? Peter. Died almost all but one. Died a martyr's death. Um, and that's probably because of Judas. I don't know. Church and state united in the days of Constantine. 
Great numbers were driven from their habitations with their wives and children. This is in the history of the popes, volume 2. Stripped and naked, many of them inhumanely massacred. I don't even want to imagine that. Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman, the church, God's true church, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. God again protected his chosen people and his message. We call it the dark ages, the large popular church reigns. Christ's church is not now visible, so to speak, during that period of time. It says that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And we looked at that prophecy. Uh, a day equals a, a, a year in Bible prophecy. We came up with this starting date, this ending date. It's not just by chance. We're not just pulling numbers out of the air. And everything works out exactly, precisely, right on time. And so even during this dark ages, the popes, or the pope oftentimes, had more power than the, many of the kings in Europe. Right? They had so much power. The church was in the wilderness. Wondering, I mean, 1,260 days, that's a long time. Or years, I should say. Prophetic. That's a long time. Are we ever going to be able to be delivered from this tyranny? The reformers were per persecuted for their faith. But in episode 3, Satan tries to destroy Christ's church. He tries to bury the truth so that we'll never see the light of day. Bibles are burned and all the rest. But Christ wins and Satan loses. He always had his faithful people that were guarding the truth, that were memorizing his word, passing out his word. Then in 1798, the Pope was taken prisoner by Napoleon's general, Berthier. We've looked at that. And so the wilderness period ends, right? The Pope goes into captivity and dies in 1798. And so all the way through from Noah's time to Moses' time to Abraham's time to the time of, of the church during Christ's time and the, the reformers, God always, I believe, had a chosen group of people that were faithful to his word. Right? And so the book of Revelation describes the identifying char characteristics of God's last day people. And we've talked about this many times. And the dragon was enraged with the woman back here in Revelation 12. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Okay? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Those two characteristics. Keep the commandments of God. Nine's good enough, right? All ten? You're such a legalistic crowd. All ten. Keep the commandments of God. That's right. And have the testimony of Jesus. So what are the ten commandments? We've looked at these before, but thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number one. Number two. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Is number three. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And it goes on to tell us and command us not to work. Right? Beautiful. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother. Sometimes we think about this as like our little kids need to honor the parents. But I'll tell you when it gets really challenging sometimes is when it's big kids honoring their very elderly parents. That can be challenging. But I still think we need to remember this idea of honor your father and your mother. They're your parents. Does that mean you're always going to agree? Nope. Does that mean they'll never be difficult? Nope. Does that ever mean they won't have an accident on your couch? Nope. But you honor them. 
because they're your parents. God commands us to do that. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And lastly, thou shalt not covet. We, we tell these to our kids in our Sabbath school classes up here. We call these the happiness rules. These are the happiness rules. You break these, you're not going to be as happy. Right? I believe God's going to have a, a group of people that choose to follow his law. Hebrews 10, 16 says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. He wants it to be here and here. Not just head knowledge, but we want to do it. We want to do it with heart, right? And we don't have to constantly pull it out and say, is this according to the Ten Commandments or not? No, they're here. And they're here. And we don't even have to think about them, hopefully, over time, right? How have you woke up this morning and you said, okay, I'm not going to kill anybody, not today, not today, it's going to be a good day. You didn't do that. It's written on your mind and on your heart, right? Maybe that doesn't go for all of them, but anyway. So keep the commandments of God. And the second one that describes God's end time people have the testimony of Jesus. And if you were here this morning, we looked at two verses here. Revelation 12, 17, have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We already looked at that just a moment ago. And Revelation 19, 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I believe the spirit of prophecy is such a precious gift. Such a precious gift. And if you didn't get a great controversy before you left this morning or you weren't here this morning, we have one for you for free. If you want two, take two. If you want ten, take ten. You just have to promise someone's going to read them, okay? But take one with you. Read through that. It's an incredible book. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is going into another characteristic. Commandments of God, testimony of Jesus, or the spirit of prophecy, but it's going to be a global, uh, a worldwide movement, isn't it? It's not going to be a small, isolated thing. It's going to be around the world. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is going around the world. In fact, you may not know this, but in North America, most Protestant churches are dying. They're going down in membership. Now, I wish I could say that the North American division is soaring with church membership. While we're not soaring, we're not dying. In fact, we are going up. And other denominations are looking at that. And when pastors get together, I've had pastors come together. What, what, what are you guys doing? How come you guys are growing and we're not growing? I think it has to do with the fact that we have a message that's relevant for our time. And when we preach it faithfully, people grab hold of that because it answers all kinds of questions that they've had and have never been answered before. That's what I believe. I don't believe it has anything to do with the architecture. I don't think it has anything to do with, with the pastors or, or how we do things or how we set things up. I think it has everything, everything, everything to do with the message. That's what I believe. And that's why we're growing. Could we be growing better and, and, and be doing better? We could. And I believe eventually God's going to pour out His Spirit and we're going to see a latter rain pour out across this nation we haven't seen before. I'm praying for that. But I just thank the Lord even now that we're growing. So <clears throat> how do I get so distracted? Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is big in mission. Our church loves to take mission trips, but we also recognize there's mission work to do right here, right? And oftentimes we go over there to learn from them and bring that back here. Because oftentimes all these other countries, Africa and, and these other places are growing by leaps and bounds. Down in Brazil, the message is just going like gangbusters. And so we go there and we see what they're doing. We say, wow, how come I'm not more on fire? And we, hopefully the idea is we bring it back here. Because North America, we're so complacent, right? We're just, you know. That's what we do in North America. But other places are just growing by leaps and bounds. <clears throat> But God is looking for people that are willing to commit everything and be sold out for Jesus Christ. And so let's review very quickly this three angels message. At the heart, the apex of Revelation. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, you should have this memorized by now, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That's everybody. And saying, fear, honor, respect God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. How do we give glory to God? Well, to glorify God means to honor him in how we live, both in our diet and our lifestyle. Everything we do is to, to glorify God. In fact, these two verses in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's body temple, right? God made me. He knows what I need to put in, how I'll, I'll function best, how I'll feel best, right? It's amazing for a little thing that we think tastes so wonderful, we'll give up feeling good for the day, for the week, for the month, maybe forever, just for a little taste here. What does that tell us, by the way? If we're willing to give up something that's far better for us and our health and just feeling better, not feeling tired, not having back pain, not all these other things, but we give it up for just a little sensation. What does that tell us about the end time scenario that we've been studying that's pretty heavy? When the whole world is pressing down on us, and this morning we looked at the seven last plagues and how those will be pressing down, and we have to remain faithful to God by God's strength and His only, but we have to be faithful to God and say, Lord, none of this makes sense. This is difficult. It's hard. It's challenging, but I choose to trust you and follow you. How are we going to stand then if even in the little things, right? Now, I'm not telling you what those little things are. The Holy Spirit will do that. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But we need to take this very seriously. This other verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Really, if this is the body temple, it's, it's God's temple. I want to it, it, really be so careful of what I put into my body, how I treat my body. But society today is saying, it's your body, do whatever you want. You can have as many partners as you want. You can eat whatever you want. You can smoke whatever you want. You can inject whatever you want. Do what you want. Live and let live. That's the devil's motto, right? Follow your heart. You're only going to live life once. Live life and taste death. That's the devil's motto. No, we need to glorify God in our bodies, in our lifestyle, in all that we do so we can have clear minds. How can I study my Bible when I'm so drunk and I'm hugging this toilet? It doesn't work. 
I've just thrown up all over my Bible. Okay, so an image of, or sorry, in an age of irresponsibility, God is calling for moral responsibility. And you don't hear that talk much anymore either. You don't hear about that. God's final message of mankind declares the hour of his judgment has come. This is not just business as usual. I believe Jesus is about to come. And so we continue on. And worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Direct quotation taken right out of the fourth commandment. Worship the creator. And not only the creator, but remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? So here we have the creator. I mean, this is going to be incredible, by the way. We just uh, recently got parakeets. Elizabeth grew up with birds. I never did. And so I was Mr. Grump. I don't know if I want parakeets. All Well, episode one. <laughs> Elizabeth wins. David loses. So we got parakeets. <laughs> we got parakeets. And we had this one parakeet that was so cool, and it would sit right on our, our finger and we could just study. I mean, those birds are beautiful. I mean, you, you study them up close. Some have little spots here. And some of those, those feathers, when you get them in the sun in the window or something, I mean, they're just iridescent. It's incredible. And, and they perch on your finger. And they're little, tiny, tiny little feet. I mean, they're just... Ding. But they're warm. And it's like, wow, their feet are so warm. And then they kind of have that little, you know, I don't know. But you just get to study them. And so now I've always loved birds. I've always been somewhat of a bird watcher, I suppose. And I'm looking at all the birds in nature, and I'm thinking, how cool would that be to just have all these birds come and perch and to just study them? Wouldn't that be neat? you think it would be neat. That's why you put up a bird feeder. But that's lame compared to this, isn't it? That's going to be so cool. And Jesus is going to show us all these things. Oh, look at this thing. This was, I was so excited about making this. This has a special feature. That, and we're going to be able to inspect it. Not have to watch some guy with an accent tell us about it. We're going to be hands-on. The Sabbath is part of God's last day message. And so we have that inserted into the three angels' message. Revelation 14, 8, and another angel followed. This is the second angel's message, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And we've studied into this a little bit. Wine represents false doctrine, and Babylon symbolizes a system of religious confusion. And he says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And then the third, well, before we get to the third angel, Revelation 18, 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. God has people in all various walks and various faiths. And he says, Come out, be faithful to my word. Be part of my chosen people because you follow my word completely and fully. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. God is not only calls us to come out of something, but he also calls us into something. That's the good news. He doesn't just say, come out and sit on the curb. He says, no, come out of her and come into my beautiful truth. Come into my truth. Come into my, my last day group of people. That doesn't make, make us perfect. But I believe our message is incredible. I believe our message is incredible. He's calling people to this message where truth has been restored. And so we look back again at these three angels' messages. And the first angel message is a call to accept Jesus totally, completely, fully as your Savior and as your Lord. 
The second angel's message is a call out of the religious confusion of so many churches. And the third angel's message is the most urgent appeal in the Bible, I would say. And we're going to read it. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And we looked at that this morning when we talked about the plagues. The wrath of God, talks about in Revelation 15, is simply the plagues. All these things, they said, if you just receive the mark in your forehead or on your wrist, either whether you know it and are convinced of it or whether you just go along with it, whether you're forced and coerced by it, either way, if you allow them, if you, if you buy into this idea of we'll protect you, we'll give you physical security, we'll give you financial security, there'll be perks, there'll be all these other things, all true life, all these things are found in us if you take our mark and the plagues are the undoing of all of that. Only All of our physical security is in Christ. All of our economic security is in Christ. My life is hid in Christ. All true light is in Christ. All of the plagues are showing that only in Christ can he supply all those things. And he says, come out of her so you don't have to receive that wrath, those plagues, right? Because only in Christ will you find all those things. Don't be intoxicated. The third angel's message regarding the mark of the beast calls all men and women to stand by their commitment to follow Christ. So God's true church will have these characteristics that will recapture the pure faith of the disciples will recapture the pure faith of the disciples. It will have the dual characteristics of keeping God's commandments and guided by the gift of prophecy. And if this isn't us, then go look someplace else, but make sure they have all these characteristics, okay? Be a worldwide mission-driven movement. There's some movements out there that say, well, the 144,000 is a closed number. What does that do to evangelism? I don't want to, you know, to baptize you and to bring you into the faith. You might take my spot in the 144,000. Kind of kills evangelism, doesn't it? And there was a time when the population of the world may have kind of led to that a little bit. But now, anyway, worldwide mission-driven movement. Number four, call people to total commitment to Christ. And number five, lead people to the Bible Sabbath. You know, I think sometimes... Our schools, we have, you know, the Adventist system has a lot of schools, and we have a lot of, you know, we call them private schools. They're a Seventh-day Adventist school. Some do very well. Some do not as well. Um, most of them do quite well. But, you know, there's, there's even within our own system, there are better schools than others. And I'm not trying to point fingers or anything else. But I have noticed in my own observations, based on this thing, call people to total commitment to Christ. When our schools follow God's standard and have a high standard, they do very well. When our schools try to soften the standard and downplay the standard and minimize the standard to where you're not even sure if they're a Seventh-day Adventist school. I wish I could say that's never the case. But when our schools do that, they don't do well at all. But when we uphold the standard, they flourish. That really isn't rocket science, is it? And I believe the same is true in your life and my life. If we uphold the standard, God will bless us. He will bless us. Does that mean I'm going to get you know, all checks in the mail? No, it means you're going to live life to the fullest. And that doesn't mean being rich necessarily. But it means enjoying everything that God has to offer in life. 
So lead people to the Bible Sabbath. Six, encourage people to give their bodies to him. Seven, make a final appeal to accept truth. Friends, God's church is not in the majority. Hate to say it, but it's not. You can never base truth on a majority vote. God's church is not the most popular. Truth rarely wins a popularity contest. I mean, we're, we're having uh, popularity contests with a, very, a variety of issues in this country today. Does that make it true? Does that make it biblical? Does that make it God-honoring? It doesn't. God's church is not the most spectacular, but I believe God values truth more than architecture. You know, you look at this fellowship hall. It's kind of plain. <laughs> right? Can I say that? It's kind of plain. But it's not intimidating. It's serving our purpose. And we're talking about revamping it. I have my own convictions about how I want God's house to look nice. And so we're, we're talking about that. But, you know, that's not the, the most important thing. It's really not. It's all going to burn in the end. Right? And so I think our church should look as good as our houses do. And if we're going to be remodeling our houses, we need to be remodeling our churches. So we'll get around to some of these kinds of things. But it's not the architecture that draws me to the Adventist church. I mean, that's, that's an easy one. You go around the country and you go to Europe and all these other places. I don't know of any place where there's tours going through Adventist churches necessarily. <laughs> I, I just don't know that. But that's not what it's about. It's the message. And we may not be able to compete with their cathedrals, and we won't talk about how they got the money to pay for them. But you can't compete with our truth. Our truth is so precious. And that's what draws people. God's church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. Truth is truth, whether religious leaders accept it as true or not. There's something about truth that just rings true, isn't it? When you hear it, you say, you know what, that sounds true. That sounds like the truth. And people appreciate it, I think, when you tell them the truth. Even if it's not always uh, what they want to hear, perhaps. So truth beckons us to follow it. Truth burns in our soul. That's really a conviction. It's that burning, and it only gets deeper and deeper and deeper as time goes on. If you really are praying about what to do, say, Lord, convict me, and it, that will grow and grow and grow. If it's just an impulse, it'll be flighty and it'll be gone tomorrow. So you have to ask, Lord, is this an impulse or is this a growing conviction? If it is, help this to continue to grow and to deepen, right? Frees our mind from error, talking about truth, demands we take a stand. And so John 13, 17, it says, if you know these things, I love this verse, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Isn't that nice? You'll be so happy if you do them. Don't do them for me. Don't do them for Chris or Pastor Brian. or any, Don't do them for any of those people. Do it for God. Do it because it's truth. Do it for you. Do it for happiness, for peace of mind. Knowing that you're right with God. Knowing that you're following what the Bible has to say. And study it out. I mean, this has been a whirlwind tour, right? I mean, this is like drinking from a fire hydrant. <laughs> right? I don't recommend that necessarily, but that's what we've been doing here. So take some time. Study it out. We have study guides back here. Well, these study guides don't do it for me. Don't worry, we got more. 
We'll try you on another set. I don't like these either. Well, we got more. But keep studying. Keep asking your questions. And get into the Word. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, by God's grace and by His power and by His strength alone, we will serve the Lord. Right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these incredible hymns that we've been able to sing that fill us with energy and excitement of the day that you come in the clouds and the day that you restore all things. And Lord, we look for that day so longingly. We can't wait for it to come. But until then, keep us faithful. Until then, keep us rooted and grounded in your word and in your truth. Until then, may we bring honor and glory to you in everything that we do. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.